Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Do you find researching and getting a foot in the door with those you want to discuss sponsorship with hard? Prospecting and researching potential sponsors is a bit of a unique beast in the sponsorship industry. It's definitely not the same as other industries. It can be a challenge to figure out a prospect's position in the market, their appetite for sponsorship, their cycles and their objectives. And there's lots of great advice around sales that is applicable to the sponsorship industry, but prospecting and approaching leads in the sponsorship industry needs a little bit more attention and a refined approach. And that's why Brian McHugh, Senior Director of Sponsorship Sales at Winmo, joins us on the show to help us navigate the tricky waters of prospecting sponsorship leads. Welcome to episode 55 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston. Wherever you are in the world and whatever you are doing while listening, it's great to have you with us. So it's shout out time and someone who never misses a show is West Ham FC's global sales manager, Nathan Thompson. Nathan told us that he's a huge fan of the podcast and he estimates he's recommended it to about 30 or 40 others. So that put a smile on my face. It made my day, Nathan, and I hope all is well at West Ham. Another to get in touch was Joseph Taylor from Striking Insights in the UK, who, when he was downloading our ebook, Aligning Benefits to Sponsor Objectives, put in the How Did You Hear About Us field, your amazing podcast. Great work, guys. Thanks, Joseph. Very kind. I hope you found the ebook helpful. And listeners, if you haven't gotten your hands on the ebook, Aligning Benefits to Sponsor Objectives, then I highly recommend you do yourself a favor and head to sponsor.net and head to the resources section. It really is a fantastic resource, and best of all, it's free. Now, before we hear from Brian, also joining us on the show is Sam Irvine, our GM product, who, in his regular blog series, has penned a letter to his younger self when he was a commercial manager, and this time he has provided some awesome advice on why sponsorship and membership is a marriage made in heaven and how you can make the most of it. Sam Irvine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. You will be, when the show goes out, in uh, New Zealand. Sunny Auckland. Sunny Auckland. <laughs> is that a prediction? I don't know. has been so cold and miserable lately, it's mm. probably only going to be an improvement. So. Hello to all our listeners in New Zealand and Auckland. Why are you visiting Auckland? Uh, for a fantastic new event, one of a kind, and hopefully it won't be one of a kind after this, it's called the Partnership Huddle. Um, it's a fantastic sort of organisation set up by Nick Rowland and Sarah Lewis yes. over there and, and we're sort of working with them mainly through Tomo presenting and just really sort of engaging where we can and, and talking with our partners and I'm really looking forward to it actually. Best tip I can give you is make sure you're off your phone when the boss is presenting, otherwise you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> Chances are he'll look for me for a, a smart question and I won't have one because I've already heard everything he's said about 10 times. Is he giving you notes on when you should laugh at the jokes? <laughs> We both know Mark well. There's not going to be many jokes. No, he. Uh, I, I'm going to claim half the presentation anyway because he keeps bouncing ideas off me and then I'm trying to do work. You, need, you need a co-author credit at the end. <laughs> so this time of year, not only are you getting to travel to Auckland and catching up with everybody there and contributing to the industry in this fantastic new event, so hi to Nick and Sarah. hope everything goes well uh, for the conference, the un, un-conference. un-conference. Yeah. But the other great time... Well, the other great thing that's happening at this time of year is in Australia, all the football's kicking off and one of the things we get when that season is kicking off is our membership packs. Membership you got packs. your membership packs? Yes, I did. And, and I got mine a little while ago because I, uh, I I consider myself such a, a loyal Swans member, but I actually had to chase them. They had my old credit card, so <laughs> they weren't going to send it. Because you hadn't paid for yeah, it. Yeah, funny exactly. That. Funny how that works. But And and as we record this, the first uh, AFL game of the, of the season for the AFL season actually was last night, yeah. so it, it's quite timely with that. But you're right, it's, it's a time, no matter what code you follow, especially in Australia, uh, in, the, in the winter codes, it's all sort of ramping up, season starting, members are really getting engaged, they're, they're, there's lots of non-game-based events that you're getting invited to, whether it be jersey handouts or, um, you know, bloods dinners, whatever they want to call them, then they're all starting to happen. And when you get those membership packs, they quite often carry some uh, sponsorship logos and possibly offers and all that sort of stuff. And it got you to thinking about how sponsorship and membership can work together, can leverage more sponsorship, can leverage the, the membership database, uh, and that it is actually, you think, a marriage made in heaven. And in, in this regular series, 
you think back to when you were a uh, commercial manager at a rights holder and you write a letter to yourself about some things you think that would probably be useful that you wish you had have known. So that's what we're going to talk about. And so let's kick off with the first one. Really, I think for me, number one has to be that there's an engaged demographic here, right? Now, just to take one half step back here, what really got me thinking about this whole concept was when the Sydney Swans, AFL team for those who are listening um, and and don't know, uh, sent our membership packs. And so I've got a membership for my two toddlers and one for myself. And they're obviously completely different depending upon the age group, depending upon whether you get a family membership, whatever it might be. And I'm talking about the physical items that they send now my son got a cape now this is a really cheap really cheap piece of fabric that just has a button that does around his and he wore it for about three days straight wanted to wear it to daycare wouldn't take it off right and there's qbe that's an engaged demographic <laughs> yeah, exactly. if ever i've heard one hell yeah so and and he kept running around i'm buddy and i was like that's right buddy's a swan and so then they he was running around with this logo qbe everywhere and it got me thinking this if QBE stay on, Citibank stay on as partners with the Swans, they're going to be in Harvey's life for, for his whole life, right? They're going to be around in his face, branding, all those types of things. And it got me thinking back back in my, in my, in my day with in, as a rights holder, a lot of my focus was on match days or a little bit of money can't buy and a little bit around season launching and things like that. And I really didn't see the value other than ticket sales of memberships and how sort of partners can work with that. So I think engaged demographic, number one, those members are engaged with you for a reason. They're actually really committed to you and therefore there can't there could be a good reason that they're engaged with your brands and your sponsors and your other stakeholders. So really making the most of those people that want to hear from you, they're likely to sort of open emails. They're not likely to just delete or send a spam things that you're sending out. So make the most of that, really. Yeah, it's an interesting point because one thing about an engaged demographic, you can have a really engaged engaged demographic but not be able to communicate with them. Mm. Here you've got the perfect storm. They're yeah. really engaged and you've got this massive list. So that becomes attractive for sponsors. You shouldn't just sit in a silo in the membership uh, section. Mm. Number two? Number two for me is really just cross-promotion of, of the partner's assets. Now, this can be really varied. This could be as simple as utilizing a partner's actual product in an offering for your membership. So what is it that they might do? They might produce mugs themselves and use them as a sponsor to good, put a mug in. Do you in. know many cape manufacturers? No, I don't. <laughs> Hopefully, there's some that contact me after this. <laughs> but I think that's a simple way there, right? You're already providing some business back to that sponsor directly through your membership program. But even better, and I've put an example in here in in the blog I've put there, Qatar Airways do some really cool stuff with the swans where, you know, you remember you log a simple question, an answer to a simple question, and you go in the running to win some flights around the world with Qatar Airways. Now, that's a perfect example of making a member engage with Qatar. Why not get me to sign up to the loyalty program? Even though I might never fly with Qatar, they've now got my data in a different space and they can start having that direct conversation with me. Mm, Good point. Next one. Multiple touch points. So really, memberships aren't what they used to be. They're not just for those rusted-on fans that go to every game day in, day out, that have got every jersey from every year that the team's played. We're seeing some really cool and tailored different membership programs, and whether that be for interstate members that can't get to games but just really want that bumper sticker to put on their car through to pet memberships, Ten years ago, that's insane. Getting a membership for your pet, it is. But you no offense to the listeners who have their fur babies. I'm sure. Well, you're talking to my my little brother and his wife then. There. So, and I'm and I'm sure that ten years ago you never would have thought something like that is coming into play. So it's not just toddler and baby memberships now. It's pet memberships. It's it's the ability to really engage those different consumers and now and now becoming members that don't have to be diehard fans of your club but want to feel part of that family and then what you're doing is you're opening up the door to talk with a whole different industry of partners that you might never have been able to speak to before why not now speak to purina pets around the pet membership mm, that good really point. qbe would never have, or rspca insurance because qbe couldn't offer something in that space so yep. really just sort of opening up those doors is really cool very good what's next number four i've sort of identified that continual 
brand recognition. I touched on that before with with Harvey and the fact that he's going to see all year that cape's going to be around. Well, when he when he decides or the swans. Flag I heard daycares uh, changed their insurance to QBE, so it's <laughs> it's worked. <laughs> they've done a good job there. So what they've been able to do is, or what they're able to do, sorry, is be in a household twelve months a year. They're able to be in people's eyesight. They're able to have a 12-month-long conversation. And so that continual brand recognition, that continual ability to communicate and access a partnership rather than it just being around game day or other... Or even seasons. Exactly. Now, we see more and more of particularly sports that have seasons that they're trying to create content and engagement when it's traditionally the off-season, so no games being played, whether that's around drafts or awards or camps or and all that content. That's all stuff that sponsors and potential sponsors can leverage. Hell yeah. And then I think you've, you've nailed it on the head there. When you, you're getting an email or com- piece of communication around your membership a couple of weeks out before the end of the season to sort of remind you that you know renewal might be coming up, but at the same time, you're getting spoken to all throughout October, November, December, January because there's little events they're putting mm. on. There's little reasons for them to be contacting you and the partners can get involved in that. They're not they're not spamming you. They're actually just leveraging and, and sitting on piggybacking on off that. Yeah, and to be fair, those events and, and things are probably happening anyway. It's the commercial manager, the sponsor ma- sponsorship manager's job to be looking at those things that probably – Uh, they're not as involved in you know things like award nights or presentations Mm. and thinking how can i talk to whoever in the club owns that and how we can engage some sponsors around Mm. it new or potential and and no matter what you think that engaged demographic of memberships are going to have an openness or a an empathy towards a brand that's partnered with your club, and I don't care if they if there's an, a negative empathy around um, BP, for example. If they start to sponsor your club, uh, there has to be some form, uh, whether it takes a little bit of time, that where you start to really open up your heart to speaking or to hear from that partner. Very so, good. Yeah. Last one. Number five is really just a lifelong connection, and and what you see here is that. In many Till spaces, death do us part. It is a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> well, I mean, I I've been a Swans fan since two thousand and six. Unfortunate, and so um, no goodness, nineteen ninety six. Apologies, nineteen ninety six. Um, back when, and, and so I won't go. That's a long story. I've been a fan since nineteen ninety six, but I've only been a member since twenty twelve. So it's now six seven years, and so what that says to me is that all right i didn't always know i was going to be a member didn't know i was always going to sign up but now i have i can't imagine a january february coming around and not being notified about the you know the new membership packs or the new games that are coming up that i can attend as a member it's part of your life yeah and and i feel that connection and i'm sure that depending when whether it's siblings whether it's you know whether it's your children whether it's your grandparents i'm sure that that will either blend into them as well and that lifelong connection that you can create with your that as a club you can create with your members that your partners can then really can create too now what that does for you as a commercial manager is to start to pitch those long-term partnerships to those managers, to those um, brands, apologies. And so you can go to that brand and say, look, let's talk about a five-year deal here because we're involving members that have been involved for more than five years. You can have a more than a five-year-long conversation with them. Rather than these one- and two-year deals, you're really giving them a reason to want to sign on long-term. Mm. Loads of great ideas around how sponsorship can leverage membership, how they can help each other. Let's wrap this up. You uh, got your insurance with QBE? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. So it, it's Hang on, wait. Two... Just a yes or no answer. You're it's on the stand no. It's a no. Wow. But I would happily buy wow. a Volkswagen tomorrow because they're partnered <laughs> with the Swans. Right. Okay. So have a good trip. Uh, say hello to everybody for us. What are you looking forward to most at the Unconference in New Zealand? Probably the Dragon's Den, and that will have just been and gone by the time this is uh, released. What's that all about? So what it is, I guess it's a uh, shark tank's probably a good uh, euphemism or another way to, to call it. Um, you can what it really will be is live pitching, where we've got four, they've got four or five brands in the in the room with money to spend, and you've got the ability to start to do a live proposal and pitch to them there and then. So getting live feedback, getting the opportunity to actually be in the room with more than one brand at a time and sell your story and be involved with that. So. Sounds super cool. Yeah. Very no, good. Definitely. Have a good trip. Thanks very much. 
Lots of great advice around sales is applicable to the sponsorship industry, but prospecting and approaching leads in the sponsorship industry needs a little bit more attention and a refined approach. And that's why Brian McHugh, Senior Director of Sponsorship Sales at Winmo, joins us on the show to help us navigate the tricky waters of prospecting sponsorship leads. Now, Brian has helped hundreds of non-profits, event organisations and professional sports teams build partnerships with major brands, from small non-profits in Alaska to large professional sports organisations like the LA Lakers. Brian has helped companies of all shapes and sizes go after new partnerships and sponsorships more efficiently. Here's Brian. Brian McHugh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. Pleasure to be here. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions. Well, I hope they're going to be easy for you, just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better and help ease you into the interview, get you flowing. First question is, if you could be anyone else in the world for a day, who would you be and why? I'm a big fan of Steph Curry, uh, NBA basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. Are are you familiar with with Steph Curry? Yes, he gets a lot of airtime here in Australia. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a he's an international superstar, but he's um, you know just uh, following Steph on social media, not only his work ethic and his day to day. I'm sure um, whether he's filming a commercial or you know, donating his time to a great cause, um, but or just being a part of a you know the NBA itself. I grew up playing basketball, so I just have a lot of respect for the guy, what he's doing on the court and off the court, and I think it would be pretty cool to uh, to experience. Uh, what what a, a day would would be like in the shoes of a uh, Steph Curry? Very good. I think there's a lot of people around the world that would love to be Steph Curry for a day as well. Brian, second icebreaker question is: What was your first ever job? Yeah, I, I was uh, 16 years old. Uh, my first job. I was. I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Moved down to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was 16, and one of the first jobs I, I took here. Uh, was at the golf club of Georgia. I was the range boy or the range picker. So I would be in the, uh, the, the cage metal card out there picking up all the balls while everyone's trying to, trying to tee off and hit me with the balls. Um, but pick up the balls and take them back to the, the shack and, and clean them up uh, and then put them right back out on the range uh, for the members. So that was my, my first job. Pretty, pretty neat experience. They had a senior PGA tour there at the time, so I got to meet you know, Lee Trevino, Chichi Rodriguez, some of the old-time greats as a kid. So it was a pretty pretty neat experience there. Very cool. It wasn't my first job, but I did spend some time working at a golf course in England as well. And I used to love getting out on the driving range and driving that, that cart around to collect the balls while the members tried to pop one uh, on the roof. And I was very good friends with the uh the, the professional there at the course and I think I became a worse golfer over two years despite <laughs> our friendship. So Brian, you've now progressed to Senior Director of Sponsorship Sales at Winmo. Set the scene for us. Tell us all about Winmo, what it's about and including helping us understand because I think there's been an evolution from the list and the data coming together. Is that right? Yes. So we had a, um, a company and a product called The List for the last... 24 years. Um, and then over the years, it, it, it started out as an Excel spreadsheet of contact information we would supply to agencies. And then over the years, it's, it, it evolved into an online platform. Um, one of our competitors up in New York, a company called Advertising Database or Ad Data Express, uh, we, we would go back and forth and battle them over the years. And then about four years ago, we had the opportunity to acquire Advertising Database. So when the list acquired Ad Data, instead of having two very similar products, we took the both, both uh, best of both worlds there, uh, combined everything, and designed a new platform called Winmo and added new features and functions. And and really, that's where we are today. And what Winmo is, it's um, it's a partnership prospecting tool. So if you're hosting an event or and anyone in nonprofits, event companies, agencies, sports teams. Um, entertainment properties, anyone really going after brands or agencies and need insights on those organizations or need to find out who the key sponsorship, marketing, event, advertising, brand decision makers are. That's really what Wimmo does. It, it allows you to be more strategic about going after new partnerships. 
um, without having to do all the research on your own, all the heavy lifting. Uh, we have a we have a team here that compiles all that data and, and keeps it up to date. Brian, as you outlined, you help rights holders build partnerships with major brands. And one thing people should be doing is researching their prospects before reaching out. Let's talk more about how you go through some of those steps. Because the first is, how do you even determine what your targeted brand's most recent initiatives are? Because I would assume that that's a fairly important step. If your target audience or your audience is not in line with the brand's target demographic, you may be wasting your time. Um, So it's really important to really know what these brands are up to, what their most recent initiatives are, so that when you're reaching out there to to show why they might want to uh, partner with you, you know, the synergy's there and you you really have a a pulse on what's going on. Um, So, I mean, and, and these brands are constantly, in order to grow, they're constantly changing so that's another reason to, to have the ear to the ground and really understand what the brand is doing right now. Um, so, I mean, even one of the Ray Bedner, he's the ex-global sponsorship executive at Bank of America. He recommended going through companies' filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissions. Um, also pull earning call transcripts on your, say, your top 10,000 brands. Uh, these things can be tedious. Uh, and that's one of the things, not not to go back onto Winmo, but within the Winmo, we do offer a feature called Winmo Edge, where our team is going through, uh, you know, they're going through these transcripts, the earning uh, transcripts, and then um, also going through trade publications and just really trying to find things that signal a shift in marketing strategy. So I think that's important. Anytime there's CMO shifts, agency shifts, um, sponsorship opportunities, new product launches, companies receiving funding. Any of these shakeups are always going to signal that there's going to be some new initiatives at the company and there's going to be some new money available. So investing in tools that track that for you where you don't have to go through and find on page 40 of you know, um, Coca-Cola's earning calls transcripts that this is what the CEO wants to do um, with the marketing budget this year or the CMO wants to do. Um, doing that for, for all the brands you're targeting can be tedious, so really investing in tools that do that on a mass scale for you so you have that pulse and you're, you're keeping that ear to the ground on, on the most recent initiatives. I think I'd be very, very lucky and impressed with myself if I got to page 40 of that document, Brian. <laughs> you, you, spoke about, uh, you spoke about going through trade calls, earning reports, um, public PR around investments, basically where a company is shifting to. What about something more specific about understanding what websites brands are even advertising on? Is that important to understand in your research before you reach out to a potential sponsor? Knowing which websites, um, say, a banner ad, uh, if I'm looking at a company and, and knowing that a banner ad is being shown on a certain website, um, and how often that, that banner ad is being shown. One, with the creative side of it, the banner ad can, can tell you a lot, too. A lot of times brands are going to be promoting their current partnerships via a digital banner ad on a website. So you can get a lot of insights there just knowing not only which creative direction they're going, which demographic they might be targeting, um, but any of those current partnerships currently happening uh, are usually advertised through a banner ad. The other side of it, too, would be to see which websites they're they're showing these banner ads on and then maybe downloading the media kit off of those websites. Um, a lot of times these media kits will describe what the, the brand's initiatives are, the co- or the, com- uh, the publisher's initiatives are, um, who their audience is, little tidbits of information you can, you can pick up and, and really understand why this company and why this brand is advertising on this website. Um, a lot of that data can be picked up through you don't know in which publications those those brands are working with and then checking out the the media kit off of that website i think that's a fantastic and and really practical piece of advice downloading that media kit brian sponsorship is as you alluded to a second ago is often about reaching an audience that a brand would otherwise find it difficult to reach on their own how do we determine what a brand's target demographic is over and above just downloading media kits from websites they advertise on? Sure. The, the social media space is, is really important. There's um, even a, 
uh, a company that we, we work with, and a lot of brands will use this company as well. It's a company called Stat Social. So what they do is they um, go through um, every brand's social media platform and aggregate that data and find out who's following that brand via social media. Um, and a lot of the brands will use that if they're doing any kind of social media campaigns um, or events, they'll want to know who their social media followers are. So they'll use these these companies that track this data to get an idea of not only you know, gender, age, household income, ethnicity, but which uh, cities these followers are coming in from, say like the top 10 cities that uh, your social media followers are coming in from, even you know through IBM Watson, the personality insights, having that kind of data. If you have an, an, an event in a certain city and, and then knowing that that's city number three, of the social media followers for a brand, that can be pretty powerful when pitching the brand or reaching out to show that their audience is going to uh, be at your event. So just having a data like that, um, you know, social media followers are, are key to, to the brand's initiatives. So just having that kind of data is, is extremely important when, when finding out the demographic there. I think that's an important point to make too because maybe 10, maybe a little bit longer, maybe 15 years ago when social media was just growing, it was just those demographics were something out there on the side but the the sheer uh, way that social media has just basically permeated everybody's lives and we're always connected. I think now you make a good point that it is actually uh, proper research and gives us uh, a clear and, and good understanding of the demographics of our wider audience, not just our audience on social. So I think that's a really good point you've made. However, the corporate world isn't stable and companies can change their approach. And, and this leads to different goals and objectives. So you might think a business has or a brand has one goal or objective, but they can pivot, they, they can change, they can enter new markets or, or exit markets or even just change how they want to communicate with that market. How can a rights holder appreciate what marketing and sponsorship strategy shifts are happening at brands that they may wish to speak to? That's where the even mentioning sort of the Winmo Edge or, or, or tracking those marketing strategy shifts, those sponsorship opportunities. Um, you know, like for example, um, uh, knowing when a CMO leaves, that, that's good to know just to get it get that on your radar. Sort of. Um, knowing the news before the news, before the official press release that the new CMO is coming on and going to do ABC, to even get in early enough where you know when the, the current CMO or the, the old CMO has, has left, um, tracking that and then track not only where they went, that might be an opportunity, but then who the new CMO is coming on board. Because usually they, they'll have a $15 million budget to allocate by Q3 and, and and just having those insights on maybe they were doing a lot of traditional print media with the old CMO, the new CMOs coming in with that new budget and wants to get more involved in experiential or outdoor. Um, so just having those types of insights uh, to really build your case and, and with your outreach, um, you know, the warm fuzzy, we have a great event, you should sponsor it or give us money, you know, that that can only go so far. So, you know, having having the data, having the stats, the insights, showing the ROI, showing the synergy, that's really is what's going to allow your event or your organization to stand out from, say, everyone else reaching out to that that decision maker. Yeah, I think you made an interesting point about knowing the news before it happens and the CMO, new CMO potentially coming on and what direction they want to take the company. And as you were saying that, it occurred to me that it would probably be prudent if you were thinking about targeting that brand to once you know a new CMO is coming on to actually go back and look at their career history particularly the job they're coming from and see how much change they affected there whether they took that company from as you mentioned you know lots of on uh traditional advertising tv radio print and they shifted them to experiential or digital because it's probably a fair indicator of what they're going to do at the new organization isn't it yeah exactly that that's key doing that that research on yeah what they've done in the past and uh where they've worked where did they go to school uh, all that all that is uh is great data but yeah like you said 
just seeing, uh, you know, which agencies they worked with, there's a chance that they're going to be bringing that agency over if, if there was a good relationship there to the new brand and, and insights like that um, are very helpful. And while we see less and less of Chairman's Choice sponsorships, the Chairman just saying, I want to sponsor this organisation because I like them. If they're a fan of you, uh, if you're a sports team, for example, if they're a fan of you and you can figure that out, then I think that is probably even better. And Brian, lots of listeners have been in a situation where you can conduct some great research and, and Deep down, you know that the brand would be a great fit and that you can help them with their objectives and that they can help you and that you can even get in front of the right person. But you get to that start line, you get told that it just isn't the right time. How do you understand when the brand's planning and then buying periods are so that we can actually fire that bullet at the right time? And again, just mentioning other resources that we'll use. Um, so what I'm familiar with is through Kantar Media, um, as well as Nielsen, uh, just companies that that do this for a living. They track uh, media spend and where these brands are allocating their dollars uh, quarterly and and over the you know the, over the years. But um, but those are the companies that are able that have an, an algorithm in place that based on when they're spending. Um, and what they're spending in which quarter, and then tracking that traditionally, they're able to come up with, I guess, a, a fairly accurate guesstimate around when the brand's planning buying periods are. Um, so that that is the, the key there, too, really, even just during their planning period, because you can really create the best case scenario for the brand, and it could be a great fit, but you reached out a month after they've already allocated their sponsorship funds for the year. So just to, to put yourself in an even better position and reaching out sort of the right brands at the right time is knowing when these planning periods are so you can catch them and be a part of that conversation before the dollars have been spent. In that process, though, the attraction can be to look at who are the top sponsorship spending brands from the previous year with the assumption that they have budget and appetite, and that would be a fair assumption. A two-pronged question for you, how do we find out who those brands are, but also are they even the right brands to target, or should we be using it for ideas on other brands to target because we hear from lots of brands that they are inundated with sponsorship proposals simply because people know they are active in the market? So the question there is more around, should we be looking at brands that have budget and appetite and have a track record, or should we be using it to go and maybe find brands that are, are, are similar that aren't being approached by everybody else? Yeah, and I think both would apply there where um, we use a company, IEG, it's actually you know, sponsorship.com out of Chicago. They do a, a great job of um, even you know, right around your top 1,000 sponsorship spending companies from last year, they have data around that. Um, so even partnering with a company like that just to obtain that list. Um, but then even taking it a step further, I think it would, if if the synergies there and, and your outreach and messaging and, and that brand is a great fit for your initiatives, um, you know, definitely reach out to the, those brands. One, we know they have money. Um, but then also, like you said, they might be inundated uh, with with hundreds of emails or calls a month. Um, but if, you, if you're showing the ROI, uh, persistence, persistence is key as well, where a lot of people might reach out three or four times and then just give up. They didn't get back to me. Maybe they're too big for our event. Um, but really, 80% of these conversations, these sponsorship conversations, don't happen until the 8th to 12th outreach um, because they are being inundated with, with these calls, and if you stay persistent, and and that's the other thing, if you, if you you're not just reaching out saying, hey, just checking in, did you get my last email? But you now have all this data on who their target demographic is, their planning periods, their marketing strategy shifts. Um, so each outreach is significant and detailed and shows ROI and and stats behind it. So um, you're not just you know sending a, a very generic email marketing message. You're trying to be as uh, targeted as possible. But then, like you said, with, you know, if, if we see there's these 10 beverage companies on that list, it wouldn't hurt to, to investigate, you know, the beverage industry is spending sponsorship dollars. What other companies 
in the beverage industry that are not on this list um, and start doing research there. Is there any, any companies that stand out or, again, have any recent things happening that would be a perfect fit uh, for your organization? Um, so, so both sides, I, w- I would say that, that list would be nice, but then also uh, you know, wouldn't hurt to, to look at those industries and, and find other companies as well. As you were talking about how it takes eight to 12 interactions really sometimes before you can actually get your foot in the door properly, two things occurred to me. One, if you're not getting to that level, and this is probably more of a comment for the listeners because I think you'll you'll agree, Brian, is that if you're not getting to that level of eight to 12 interactions and, and follow-ups, you're only sort of stopping at three to four, you're essentially self-selecting yourself and opting yourself out of those rights holders who would have the attention to detail to actually deliver on a sponsorship proposal. So you're actually helping the brand there. But more interestingly for me is over those 8 to 12 interactions where you might send an email or you might be lucky enough to get them on the phone, you're very rarely likely to get just a one-line response. You'll get little tidbits that you can put together to create a bigger picture. Things like, oh, well, we've got our corporate planning in in October, so uh, I'm on leave until then, or you know, we're not really looking past the Super Bowl, or whatever it is. And you can piece those little pieces of information over the 8 to 12. You wouldn't be able to do it over 3 to 4, but 8 to 12, you can build a much sort of composite picture of, of their, their cycles and their appetites and their attitudes. Yep, exactly. That's, that's dead on right there, sure. Are we able to get an understanding of what percentage of a brand's sponsorship dollars are being allocated towards, say, various rights holders in terms of types, so events, teams, leagues, uh, individual athletes, and, and who they are actually sponsoring? Yeah, it, it, it's a tough thing to, to find, and I think whoever, whatever company out there really gets it down to a, a science there is going to make a lot of money. But um, over the years, I've, you know, I speak with hundreds of, of, of our clients over the years where um, everyone wants to know, can you show me which events the, or, you know, these brands sponsored, how much, can you give me the top 20 events from 2017 and, you know, or, or however many events they sponsored, how much... What does that look like? Um, so, and it's it's a, it's a tough tough information to find. Um, and and some companies will do it on a one off basis. Where if I say like, hey, here's five brands, can you go do the research to figure out um, who they sponsored and how much they spent? Um, but to have it on a mass scale where you're able to just pull a list of data of companies that have sponsored, you know, a certain kind of event or certain kind of team. Um, is really not available out there on a mass scale right now. What these companies are doing in a company we, we work with, Hook It, is allowing, uh, basically through social media again, just getting a, um, a very accurate guesstimate through social media and these algorithms they've built that can tell you which percentage of a brand's sponsorship dollars are allocated towards teams, leagues, athletes, events, and really everything else. So it's a company that's that's really starting in that space, um, and then based on things they'll track, where the Los Angeles Lakers will mention Toyota in a tweet, um, they'll ha- give that a high probability that Toyota is sponsoring the Lakers, um, and, and so on. And, and tweets through athletes, um, or you know the Mountain Dew series and things like that, where they're they're just tracking any time a league team event um, athlete mentions a specific brand, compiles that data all together, and then would have that for around 5,000 brands they track data on that information. Um, So that's important in in a way to not only uh, cure are some brands that we have a 99% um, idea that they're they're working with these these properties or or teams here, but then also, um, you know, where are these teams located? Are they in a certain region of the country, and that's where my event is. Any tidbits of your information that you can use based on geography, industry, um, how you might, you know, your event might relate or have synergy with a specific athlete, anything like that can be used in your outreach as well. Um, so just having that, that amount of data or those stats could be helpful, even though it's not 
just a one-click button and gives you the exact dollar amount, um, but it will give you a good idea of, you know, are they even spending in events or are they even spending in in the southeast, things like that. And I think if they're sponsoring comparable rights holders to yourself, it's it's a fair assumption to to make that whatever amount of money you are thinking about asking for, they're potentially in the ballpark with other rights holders and already spending that, right? Oh yeah, exactly. If if um, yeah, even I was thinking like if uh, the Atlanta Hawks or you know a basketball team starts, uh, you hear about them partnering with a, a tire company. Um, and that, that's something right away where, okay, if, you know, if we have one tire company sponsoring in the NBA or in a, a sports team, then uh, now I'm going to start researching other tire companies and, and using that as a comparison or leverage to show that, you know, this is a good market for them. And this is the key for me because even with all the right information, even if you're pulling it together yourself or you're using paid services, if you can't actually contact the right person you've got a bit of an issue how do we find the right people to reach out to and actually do it with accurate contact information sure that's where we specialize in with with winmo um having over 30 researchers that compile all this there there our researchers are actually physically calling every company and agency on a 120 day rotation just to confirm that the people we been tracking over the years and have are still there um, and then every three weeks we'll even do like a, a ghost email blast where it pings the server and lets us know if that email um, would be a bounce back or not um, so we, we have a, a team on, on a mass scale keeping everyone up to date and, and when they're calling in they're, they're trying to obtain direct dials and extensions of the assistance name as well um, so it's important I think to have the the work direct dial or the work email address you know, and I'll still use LinkedIn, and we'll, we'll use LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn connector within our platform. Um, but a lot of times, if unless these you know corporate decision makers are looking for a new job or or um, you know transitioning in between jobs, then they're not really looking at LinkedIn. They might have a a generic Gmail account that just you know is kind of a ghost email account that anyone who's mes- messaging them via LinkedIn it's it's going nowhere. Um, or they're just going to the brand's website and filling out a generic sponsorship form. So really, you know, investing in in quality lists. Uh, I always feel like it's not about the the quantity of the list. You know, you can buy thousands of contacts and half of those might bounce, but just have quality lists of the right people. Um, and within Wimmo, we're very niche. We're not a, a gen- generic email marketing you know type of platform just with millions of contacts. We have just right, right around 140,000 contacts, very targeted and focused on um, you know, who in the U.S., U.K., Canada is currently um, the key decision makers in that sponsorship event marketing brand space. But, um, but yeah, just investing in the right tools or the right resources that give you that accuracy is, is very important. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that, that quality over quantity is important, but even that that quality is up-to-date quality. I've seen lists, uh, had a little bit of a play around in some platforms where I know the person who's in charge of marketing at a certain brand, and they might have been there for nine months, yet the system is telling us that it's still their predecessor or that they're sponsoring something that I know that they know longer sponsor or it's actually publicly available information but the system isn't just pulling it into the system it's missing a whole lot of stuff so i would 100 percent agree that it's really important if you're looking at systems like that listeners that you actually spend some time uh, making sure that the quality is there otherwise i think you'll waste just as much time reaching out to the wrong people and most likely with the wrong information okay brian let's say we know who we need to contact what should our outreach look like? What's your advice? Are there any tips around things like subject lines of emails or messaging or even messaging length or even how often to reach out and follow up? Yeah, so I, I always compare the the shotgun approach versus the sniper approach. Uh, the shotgun approach being more where you just send out the generic email blast to your, your list of contacts, um, you know, Close your eyes, cross your fingers, hope, hoping someone emails you back. 
but with the sniper approach, again, just being as targeted as possible, um, you know, having a witty, creative subject line, give give the the brand a reason to even open your email. Um, and then I always recommend to my clients just keeping the messaging short, sweet, to the point, relevant. Um, a lot of times you get these very generic emails and, and right away, right when you open it up, you could tell it, it was a, a mass email just sent to everyone. There's no nothing personal to me and, and I usually don't even read those. And, and who knows, that could have been a, uh, a company that I could have utilize their services. And just because the way the email came to me, you know, I'm not reading that email. So, um, you know, give them a reason to, to open the email with the subject line, but then also, um, you know, RO, not only express an ROI, name dropping your current clients is helpful. Um, using testimonials, third-party storytelling is extremely important. Um, having other testimonials from past sponsors or clients um, embedded within that email, even just looking on LinkedIn to see where they went to school and, you know, name dropping the mascot here and there or um, anything to, to let the the user or the the prospect know that this is directly to them and this is why we're reaching out. So, um, but in a, in a concise, concise manner. Now, I think it's an important point to make that you need to understand that if you want somebody to give you their time and attention, you actually have to put some time and attention into them. So you can't just send the the generic blast email, but you also can't cross the line too much in that email when you look like a stalker because you make reference to how they like baseball and where they went to school and what their favorite beer is because <laughs> that might be a little bit uh, too creepy. Right. And, and I always feel, and we mentioned the 8th to 12th outreaches, but, um, but also not... not to be afraid to aim high. I have a, a lot of clients that feel like their event is meant for maybe just more of a local uh, audience or, or local brands or companies. But um, you know, they, just not to be af- afraid to to aim high. And if you if you're having uh, you have the right the right audience and there's synergy and it makes sense for a brand to go after you know work with you or partner with you, um, you know, just to keep that in mind to to continue to aim high and. Um, you know, it's definitely easier or it's better to get like one or two big sponsors in place than lots of small ones. It's, um, you know, it's less clutter for the sponsors and less sponsorship management for you. So to keep that in mind, too, I, I have a lot of clients that always think like, oh, you know, these big brands, I'm, they're too big for this event or that event. But, you know, if, if you're if you're being tactical and, and using that sniper approach mentality and, and having the right information and, and stay consistent with that eight to, t- you know, 12 outreaches or more. Um, they're going to get back to you with with an answer one way or another. So to stay persistent and, and aim, aim high. I think that's important that they'll get back to you one way or another. When I first wanted to work at a supermarket, my dad said that I should just go down there every day, and they'll either they'll most likely just get sick of me and give me a job. And well, I didn't follow his uh, advice exactly. I did end up working at the supermarket. Now I'm a marketer from way back, so I understand the power of testimonials and the social proof that they can provide to potential buyers, clients and customers, we don't actually see a lot of them being used in sponsorship proposals. And you mentioned it uh, a couple of minutes ago. What's your view on using testimonials in reaching out and, and, and proposals? Yeah, I think it's it's very important. I know um, a lot of my clients that have used testimonials or even when I'm reaching out, uh, you know, if, if you, if you think of the word, you know, sponsorship director or, or business development or salesperson, the adjectives that come to mind initially, um, are usually, you know, sleazy, dirty, they're just trying to sell me something kind of thing. So, uh, so this is what, you know, the, the sponsorship decision makers, um, are, are thinking every time you reach out, um, because no one really wants to feel like they're being sold. So I think the, the best way, um, to try to get someone to tell the story for you. Um, and, and really if you can obtain testimonials from past sponsors, one that's helpful for your, your outreach moving forward, but also it reminds that brand why, they worked with you or were they successful? Um, and not just testimonials around like, Hey, this was a great event, but try to really get some, some data around 
did that brand see a social media uptick in that city after your event? Or, uh, were, you know, there are more Coca-Cola sold in that region after your event uh, because Coca-Cola was a sponsor. So when obtaining these testimonials, really try to get as much data and stats as possible so when you reach out to the next beverage company or the next food company, um, they really see the ROI behind investing in your event. Uh, so I think that's very important versus, you know, just coming from you trying to, you trying to tell that Coca-Cola did this and that, you know, if it's coming from Coca-Cola, that's going to be a lot more powerful. Um, and then, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't ask for testimonials. So, um, there was a stat, I think it was, um, 87% of your clients are willing to give a testimonial, but only 10% are ever asked for one. So really just ask for testimonials and, uh, you know, cause they're willing to, if they worked with you in the past and they enjoyed it and they're working with you again, they, they most likely don't have a problem. A lot of times too, and a technique that I've used is these brands or these companies might be hesitant to, to sit down, try to get creative. They know people are going to be reading the testimonial. So after asking for a testimonial, it could take a long time for you to obtain that testimonial. So if you just ask enough questions with the brand or the company um, and pretty much write the testimonial for them, sending it back over to them for them to confirm if this is what they're trying to say, um, get their permission to use their name, their picture. But if you ask enough questions, you can really just put the testimonial together um, and then just get approval from from the uh, the company or brand uh, that kind of speeds up the process. Um, Brian, and, it feels you know, Brian, offering- it feels like I'm yeah. speaking to my soulmate because I, <laughs> I I I use that exact technique. I've used it plenty of times in the past where you're 100 percent right. People think I'd love to give a testimonial, but a couple of the challenges around that is is like you said, they've got to find the time to do it. If they're good clients and you've got a great relationship, they want to do a good job. So it's not just a 30-second exercise for them. Uh, Also, people quite often when they write a testimonial will make it too long and people then just scan it and put it as a letter on a web page or in a proposal. And I'm, I'm not going to read that much, so it does need to be short and succinct. And finally, people will try and wordsmith it and word process it to within an inch of its life. And, and it just reads like corporate bleached messaging. So uh, listeners, 100% agree with Brian. I've used this technique hundreds of times with people who just ring up, record the conversation. I actually record it. I just sort of ask them five or six questions uh, and then actually fashion that testimonial back. And I can tell you that 95% of people just write back and say, yep, that's great. You can use that. And the key is to make it actually read as if it's a real person talking. So it's not super loose but it's also not tight that it doesn't actually sound like somebody talking. You've got to find that middle ground. And I reckon 4% of people come back and say, oh, you missed a comma or a semicolon there or my name's Bob, not Mary or something like that. And 1% of people will actually change a couple of the words. But by putting it in front of them, you give them the option to either adjust it or accept it. And I think it's a fantastic technique. I think a lot of people should be using it. Yeah, and, and and if you don't have testimonials right now, you know, even our company um, several years back didn't have many testimonials, and it's something we've worked on over the years. And um, with at Winmo, if we we obtained um, a con, basically we held a contest where we had tickets to the college football national championship, not only the game but the pre tailgate, the after parties, the whole thing, and. Um, and we use that instead of just, you know, our, our CEO and CRO heading to the, the big game and, and enjoying it. We use those tickets to hold a contest where if you're one of our clients and you can tell us how Winmo has helped you win new business. And, um, you know, and, and again, details and stats around that. And, you know, was there a certain amount of money or were you able to, to save time not having to do all this research yourself? Um, so we use that. And, and once we obtained uh, you know, over a hundred testimonials from our clients. Then we had held the drawing and, and pulled the names out, and were able to to um, offer someone that experience that provided a testimonial. But now we have a you know a database of testimonials in each of our categories that we we serve. Um, so anytime I reach out, again, it's not coming from me. It's uh, I can just pull and grab those testimonials as need be. Um, to really, you know, show others how our clients are using us. 
it's a great idea. I think a lot of rights holders could uh, adapt that to their own situation. One final point before we move on to, uh, sorry, we move on from testimonials. I find when I'm going through that exercise with people and I'm talking to them and asking them questions to help draw information out to craft a testimonial on their behalf, the last question I ask is, would you recommend XYZ company? Now, generally, we're not speaking to past clients or current clients and customers who wouldn't recommend us. That's why we're talking to them about a testimonial, right? Because they've got positive things to say about us. The initial response the default response is always yes but listeners if you are going to take this technique and use it yourself i can tell you that if you ask that question and the person at the other end of the line says yes don't say anything just let the silence sit there for i've let it sit there for maybe 20 seconds once and eventually the person gets so uncomfortable with the silence that they just blurt out all this gold for you to take because they feel like they need to suddenly justify why they've said yes even though you've asked them some pretty easy questions i find if i finish with that i ask that question they say yes and then i make sure that they're the next person to speak that's where you'll get some real gold Brian, lots of our listeners run various events, whether that's game-related hospitality or business networking events, season launches or end-of-season balls and celebrations or even community days. It's a great opportunity when you have lots of business people in one location. Clearly, you work in an industry where the, the, the data and the quality of that data is really important. But when we're running our own events and we're bringing lots of business people into one location, what sort of data should sponsorship managers be trying to collect from their guests at these and events with an eye on prospecting? Yeah, the, so I always find that, I mean, maybe not at the actual event, or it could be helpful, but um, even just sending out surveys, like like I know SurveyMonkey is one, or um, if you have someone at the event um, taking count of demographics, that's always helpful. Um, but if you were to send out a, a survey to really fine-tune who your audience is um, and know who, who's attending your events, um, really asking questions, you know, everything from income, car, what kind of car do they drive, um, healthy lifestyle, or, um, and again, which, which publications are they reading? And then take that same, same uh, information and, and go down, download the, the media kit off of that publication to just even learn more. Um, so asking those questions outside of just your general, generic uh, demographic information, but really who these individuals are. Um, I think that's that's very important um, because in, I mean in the world of corporate sponsorship, your ta- target audience is one of the most valuable assets you can offer to a to a brand or a prospect. There, um, so obtaining as much data and information as you can um, outside of just the basic stats, I think is very important. Um, and it reminds me of a even a story where um, the movie Disney's Frozen, which was a big big hit. Uh, you know, they. When you think of who their target audience was, you know, the, you assume immediately kids and moms, and and that was the majority. But over twenty percent of their ticket sales, over twenty million dollars, came from millennials, um, who are around twenty four years old. So even like surprised by this stat, Disney took that and made some adjustments with their promotions on their next movie. They came out with a, a remake of the Muppets. Um, so what they did there is they knew they had to reach out to that millennial audience as well. So they um, got involved with Saturday Night Live, and they're putting out viral videos and different techniques that, that are more geared towards that audience. So I think it's, it's important to um, really you know, know these things or, or send out those surveys and do a little bit more digging on, on who's going to be um, at your event and who your audience is. Now, not only do sponsorship managers run events themselves, they attend a fair few as well. A lot of sponsorship sales professionals probably don't have a traditional elevator pitch like most salespeople do. They would rely on brand recognition and then the person they are talking to probably having an understanding of sponsorship and how that could help a brand, i.e. I'm the sponsorship manager at Barcelona because that implies a whole range of things. However, 
there may be missed opportunity there. Do you think elevator pitches are important for sponsorship managers? And if so, have you got any advice for them? Yeah, I I think um, being able to express what you do in, in a in a fast fashion or manner, like if, you know, when people say, "Oh, what's Winmo?" and it's we do so many different things with different data and information to to just one get get that point across. Again, that sniper approach, um, keeping it short and simple, is is the best way. But then also, I think oh, flipping it where you're asking them questions and and then really if, if you can ask them two or three questions and they give you the answer uh, to to flip that back and and then articulate what your service or what your event can do um, based on their answers. So I think just not only uh, just assuming that, you know, it's a one, one fit all or, or one stop shop, um, you know, that, that, that's not the right approach. I, I feel like um, I've had more success maybe just getting to know the needs or interest of who I'm speaking with and then catering that pitch or that elevator pitch to that, that person that way. Yeah, and I think some good advice that I thought of as you were talking there is if you're going to ask lots of questions about what they do, sometimes if if you know the brand, that may be a little bit superficial, but you could say things like, oh, so you're the marketing manager at ABC Bank, um, and you know, you're know you probably going to know that their job is to have brand awareness and engage with the community and get more sales as in accounts and, and products. But asking some more deeper questions around what what's hard about that? Is that an easy job? And oh, oh, oh no, it's not an easy job. You don't, you know, it's it's quite difficult. You have to do this, this, and understanding what some of their challenges are, with an eye on looking for some little elements that you may be able to then talk to them about how your organisation could help. Again, going softly at the start because it is just the the elevator pitch and the start of the conversation, but. I think not just asking questions about what they do because sometimes that can be implied, but what's challenging about it because that's what your organization as a rights holder can do is actually help them. Yeah, and, and it's funny too if you ask, you know, even what, what don't you like about ABC or anything, a lot of times they end up telling you, you know, everything they like about it or vice versa, what, you know, what do you like about that? And then if they have a problem with it, so... Just those open-ended questions, I think you're exactly right. Um, you'll, you'll get a plethora of information. Brian, some fantastic insights and advice in that chat. It only seems fair. You've alluded to Winmo a couple of times or, or, or specifically mentioned Winmo a couple of times, but I think it's only fair that we let you give it a, a, a full plug. Tell us all about Winmo and how it can help. Yeah, really, we're designed to... Uh, save you time. I mean, if you're if you're doing all this research on your own, um, and you're spending even one to two hours a week uh, just using Google and LinkedIn uh, to to do this research, you're you're end up spending you know near twenty thousand dollars a year in just prospecting time. So if you think of it that way, where if you invest um, you know half of that in or, or less than half of that in or uh, more than half of that in, into a tool that will allow you be, to be more efficient and, and again go after the right brands at the right time and here are the right people um, and here are their marketing strategy shifts and their target demographic here's where they've allocated media and sponsorship dollars over the last three years um, so just having all this data compiling it and then allowing you to to just focus on going after the new business versus being the researcher and then having to go after the new business uh Winmo comes in to to really just do the heavy lifting for you and is a resource that um yeah hopefully allows you to be more efficient and if people would like to check it out what can they do sure uh, it's it's winmo.com and it's really win more business w i n is in nancy m is in mary o dot com um, you can always reach out to me directly. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, last name McHugh. Uh, so it's Brian M at winmo.com. Uh, feel free to email me. I'd be happy to open up trial access, um, do a demonstration walkthrough, a screen share of our platform and the type of information. Currently, we track um, companies with a corporate headquarters or a marketing headquarters in North America and the UK um, as we, we look to expand beyond that. But the, um, oh yeah, really, if, if you have questions or, or just want to chat or check out Wimo, feel free to email me 
And uh, yeah, just feel free to reach out. And of course, we'll put uh, all the links to Winmo and Brian's email address. We'll tidy it up so that the bots can't scrape it and uh, spam you, Brian. Uh, so listeners, we'll put all the notes uh, links in the show notes for you so that you can get in contact with Brian very easily and learn more about Winmo. Brian McHugh, Senior Director of Sponsorship Sales at Winmo. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship prospecting. Thank you, Daniel. It was a pleasure. I loved that chat with Brian. It, Brian really got me thinking about a few things and new framing and contexts and, and approaches, and I trust that he had the same effect on you. If you want to connect with Brian, just head along to the show notes at sponsor.net where links to Winmo, Brian's email, and his LinkedIn profile are provided for you. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Just like Nathan and Joseph, if you'd like a shout-out, just get in contact. I'll make that happen for you. Seriously, you can be anyone working anywhere in the world at any type of organization. If you listen to the podcast, just get in contact and say hi. That's all we need because we really do love hearing from you guys. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And of course, if you want to connect with our GM product, Sam Irvine, you can email him on sam at sponserve.net or of course, you can find him on LinkedIn as well. Don't forget, you can follow Sponserve on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to Sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.